Good evening, and welcome to Mining the Riches of the Parsha. Tonight is Thursday night, June 24th, 2021. I am so grateful that all of you are here, that we're able to study together, and I thank you for giving this time that we can be together to study. Today, we celebrate Quebec, and I want to express deep gratitude and appreciation for this wonderful province. The fact that we can study Torah together here is something we should never take for granted. And our meeting tonight is a fitting way to recognize the bounty we have here. So, bon fet, atus. So, Balak sees the approaching Jewish people and he decides that in order not to be conquered by them, he is going to hire Bilam, who is a prophet, to curse the Jewish people so that they will not be successful in what he thinks is what they want to do to conquer his land, his nation. It's not what they want to do, but that's what he thinks. And Bilam, throughout our Parsha this week, tries to curse the Jewish people, but what comes out of his mouth is actually a blessing. And the third attempt, Bilam sees the tribes of the Jewish people from a mountain overlooking them, and he gives what is one of the most famous blessings in all of history. He says, Matovu ahalecha Yaakov, how goodly are your tents, Jacob, Mishkanozecha Yisrael, your dwelling place is Israel. We have adopted that as part of our daily prayers. And the Talmud explains that what Bilaam saw that led him to this blessing, although he wanted it to be a curse, but it came out as a, bless a blessing, but it was a response to what Bilaam saw, the way that the Jewish people had arranged their tents and their homes in a way that protected modesty and respected privacy. Nechama Leibowitz, in analyzing the words matovu, we translated how goodly or beautiful, but the word tovu from tov, writes, perfection in all respects, beauty and charm, simplicity and purity. That's what's conveyed by matovu, how goodly, how beautiful. Now, if we follow Leibowitz's reading of the word, what Bilaam is seeing in the Jewish people, a line before him, is a state of total flawlessness, complete arrival at the gates of excellence. Let's move now from the Torah portion to the Haftorah. Remember, we've discussed before, the Haftorah is a selection from one of the prophets that's read just after the Torah reading on Shabbos morning. Remember that it is always thematically connected to the Parsha itself and in some way will complement what is presented in the Parsha. The Haftorah for this Shabbos is a passage from the prophet Micha, Micah. And the passage in the Haftorah appears to contradict Bilaam's message. 
The Haftorah is discussing that God brings a charge against Israel, a, an indictment against the Jewish people. Remember, of course, it happens much later in Jewish history. And the people are not acting properly. They're not following God's laws. And God criticizes them. God indicts them. That is the main role of prophets, is to convey God's criticism so that people can improve. So, the people respond by seeking God's forgiveness. And the prophet quotes the people, that is kind of in general, as saying as follows, since God, you have criticized us and you have indicted us, with what should we come before you, God? How should we bow ourselves before God on high if we want to be forgiven for these sins? Should we come before God with sacrifices, with year-old calves to offer as offerings? Would God be pleased if we were to offer thousands of sacrifices? The problem with the response of the Jewish people is that their effort to try to be forgiven for their sins, their effort is misguided. God does not want that. God does not want their sacrifices, our sacrifices. God wants our hearts. God wants our love of God. God wants us to fulfill our mission as ambassadors in this world of goodwill and kindness. And so, God responds to their attempt to seek forgiveness. In the words of the prophet, God says, I'll tell you, mankind, what is good, and what God wants from you. To do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Notice that in the words that God says about what he wants from the Jewish people, meaning what they are lacking now, but what he wants them to develop, he says, Matov, this is what would be good. Notice, Bilam said, Matovu Ahalecha Yaakov, how goodly are your tents. And God is saying to the Jewish people later in history, in response to their misguided attempt to rectify the sins and the mistakes that they have, I will tell you, God says, what is good. In other words, it's almost the same phrase, but it's used in a very different manner. Because Bilam sees the Jewish people as already being good. Bilam sees them matovu, like Libuwit says, you're perfect. You've arrived. You're great. 
Everything is great. Micha uses the same words, but he's using them as the methodology to become good. You're not good now. There are problems now, but this is what it will take to bring you to a state of being good. So which one is it? How do you understand Bilam's view and rectify that with Micha's view? Bailey Newman points out that we are often unwilling to let go of who we think we are and what we think we know. We cling to certainty, to familiarity, to the definitions within which we are already comfortable. But there's a brilliant book titled A Field Guide to Getting Lost, written by Rebecca Solnit. I recommend it highly. And she talks about, she writes about two meanings of the word lost. There is the loss of things and there is losing ourselves. Listen to what she writes. Losing things is about the familiar falling away. Getting lost is about the unfamiliar appearing. There are objects and there are people that disappear from your sight or knowledge or possession. You lose a bracelet, a friend, the key. You still know where you are. Everything is familiar except that there is one item less, one missing element. That's the loss of things. Or you get lost, in which case the world has become larger than your knowledge of it. She writes, to be lost is to be fully present. And to be fully present is to be capable of being in uncertainty and mystery. That thing, the nature of which is totally unknown to you, is usually what you need to find. And finding it is a matter of getting lost. The job, the mission of every person from a Jewish point of view is to feel that we are lost in the sense that we have not yet arrived. We lose ourselves in and on the journey to becoming who God wants us to be. In other words, to constantly be questioning, where can I find that which I do not yet have, that which I have not yet reached? That is the essence of the mission we have in life. Listen to the words of Rabbi Adin Steinsaltz. The Jewish approach to life considers the man who has stopped going, who has a feeling of completion, of peace, of a great light from above that has brought him to rest. That's the one who has lost his way. 
Only he who the light continues to beckon, for whom the light is as distant as ever, only he can be considered to have received some sort of response. Because as soon as you think you have the answers, as soon as you think you know the purpose of your life, you have lost your way. A student once approached the famous Hasidic Rebbe, the Kutzker Rebbe, Rabbi Menachem Mendel of Kutzk. And he said to him, who would you define as a good Jew? The Kutzker said, who is a good Jew? Anyone who wants to be a good Jew. The student was confused and said, but Rebbe, who wouldn't want to be a good Jew? And the Kutzker said, well, that's easy. Someone who thinks he is a good Jew already. We're not meant to think of ourselves as having arrived, as being perfect. We are meant to lose ourselves in the process of becoming better. Listen to the way Rabbi Shai Held explains this approach. Juxtaposed with Bilam's words, Micha's words serve as a powerful reminder that in a deep sense of not yet ought to pervade our spiritual lives. Franz Rosenzweig famously was asked, do you put on tefillin? And he answered, not yet. The world is not yet as it should be, not yet as God intends it to be. And we too, are not yet who we could be. Complacency and self-satisfaction have no place in the spiritual life. However fair and beautiful Israel's tents might be in Bilaam's eyes, Micha is there to remind him and us that there is still a commandment to fulfill, a road to travel, and a hope that will not die. That is meant to be the gap between being good and becoming good. And that is why both prophecies are read this Shabbos. We read the prophecy of Bilaam, and then we read the prophecy of Micha to teach us that Bilaam's formulation is not the right formulation. We need to be lost we need to be questioning. We need to always be on the road towards becoming better because we are not there yet. Now, this is a lesson that Bilham could have learned from his donkey, but he did not. So first I have to tell you a story. My grandfather, Sam Marglin of blessed memory, as I've shared with you, he was a successful businessman in Memphis, Tennessee. He had no formal Jewish education. Later in life, he became a wonderful Torah teacher at home and across the United States. Whenever he spoke publicly, people would compliment him. He would accept the compliment graciously, and then he would turn to us and deflate the praise. He would say, you know, when you go to the circus to see the dancing bear, 
you don't care how well the bear dances. That he can dance at all is extraordinary. People aren't impressed by what I say, he would say to us, but the fact that someone like me, with my background, that I can speak at all, that's what amazes them. Okay, it wasn't true, but that was his line. In our Parsha, we have a speaking donkey. But what is extraordinary is not just that the donkey speaks, but what he actually says. So, Balak hires Bilam to curse the Jewish people. As I said, it's going to turn out not to be successful and end up in a blessing. And Bilam sets out on the way. And he sets out riding on his donkey. God, the Torah tells us, was upset with Bilam that he was going on this mission. And God had an angel stand in the road blocking the path of Bilam and his donkey. Bilam could not see the angel. But the donkey could see this angel standing, blocking the way with a fiery sword in his hand. And the angel was there to warn Bilam. Make sure that you only say what I, God, put in your mouth to say. Because I'm not happy with you going to begin with. Bilam did not see this angel, but the donkey saw the angel. So the donkey tried to move to the side. Bilam, not knowing what was happening, started to hit the donkey. Vayach Bilam esa ason, la tos Bilam hit the donkey in order to cause the donkey to go straight in the path because Bilam, did, Bilam didn't see that the path was blocked. The, the donkey saw the angel of God in front of him and he reared up under Bilam. By Yichar Af Bilam, and Bilam became angry. By Yachesason Bamakel, and he hit the donkey with a stick. By Yiftach Hashem Es Pihaason, and at that moment God opened the mouth of the donkey to speak. Vatomer La Bilam, and the donkey spoke to Bilam and said, Maasisi Lecha, what did I do to you? that you have hit me now these three times. You notice Bilam recovers fast. A donkey starts to speak to you. Okay, so Bilam responds and says, well, but uh, why are you, why won't you go? The donkey says to Bilam, I've been your donkey for a long time. You've been riding on me for many, many years. Did I ever not listen to what you wanted? 
Obviously, if I'm not going forward, there's a reason. And at that moment, Vayegal Hashem Ezeinei Bilam. God opened the eyes of Bilam. Vayaras Malach Hashem Nitzav Baderach. And finally, Bilam saw this angel standing in front of them, blocking the way. And the angel of God says, why did you hit your donkey these three times? Bilam says to the angel, I sinned. I didn't know that you were standing in front of me. It seems a bit extraneous to the narrative. I mean, the narrative is about Balak hiring Bilam to curse the Jewish people. Instead of cursing them, he blesses them. <laughs> I mean, yes, it's incredible that there's a talking donkey, but how is the talking donkey connected to the narrative that is really the subject of the Parsha? So, clearly, the point of this part of the narrative is to show Bilam that he is not seen clearly as he tries to go against God's wishes. That he is not able to see something literally right in front of him and he should heed God's warnings. And Bilam says, Chatasi, I sinned. What's the sin? What sin is Bilam confessing at this moment? So the Rambam Maimonides says he's confessing to the sin of Tsar Balichayim, causing needless pain to an animal. He was hitting the animal, hitting his donkey, without cause. That's a very serious prohibition in the Torah. It is the subject of many individual prohibitions. We're required to assist an animal that's struggling under its load. We're not allowed to muzzle an animal while it's working. We have to show compassion to a bird sitting on its nest. We have to be careful about how we slaughter animals and we are required to allow animals to rest on Shabbos and many other commandments that go into this general category of Tsar Balichayim. We're not allowed to cause unnecessary pain to an animal. But this sin of Bilam is not just a serious sin, which it is. It also says something very negative about a person's character. And the reason this narrative is part of our Parsha is it is intended to show us that the donkey stopped because it saw an angel that Bilam could not see. In other words, this is something that was humiliating to Bilam, and he expressed himself in a way that brought shame to him in the way that he acted towards his donkey. When I was a child, I and other members of my family, we had horses. And I used to ride horses all the time. It was a big part of my life a long time ago, but it was a big part of my life. Learning about horses, appreciating horses, learning to ride. Something that 
that I have a deep connection with, although I haven't done it many years. Michael Ambush talked about an article that appeared in Horse Illustrated. It's kind of like Sports Illustrated, but it's about horses, not about sports. It's a magazine that is devoted to the care and the performance of horses. And the article, this specific article, was talking about how to deal with a horse that refuses to move. Now, first I need to review a word. There is a word that's used in horseback riding. It's called impulsion. Impulsion means forward motion of the horse that is controlled by the rider. So, you know, you have three choices. The horse can stand still and refuse to move. The horse can start flying uncontrolled by the rider. What a horse rider is looking for is impulsion, that the horse should move forward, but controlled by the rider. Listen to the excerpts from this article. If you don't have a horse's respect you will not be able to get true impulsion because you need respect before you get anything else. Impulsion, meaning the correct way to control a horse, is why you will feel less and less need to use the reins for control. Now, if you don't have impulsion, you'll have to result to force. But what you do on the ground before you get on the horse, what you do on the ground to teach your horse to be more responsive is the key. Ground skills, the way you interact with the horse before you get on the horse, that's how and when you build respect in the way you treat the animal before you get on. The goal is to have your horse respond to you with respect and not fear. Repeated kicking desensitizes the horse. This is something really interesting because sometimes on television you see someone riding a horse and they're kicking, they're kicking the horse. Great riders use their legs to communicate, but they don't kick. The way that you control a horse with your legs is by very slight pressure of your knees against the sides of the horse. Very slight, very subtle. That's how you control the horse. If you're controlling the horse through kicking, you're not going to get what you want. The goal is to do as little as possible to get the desired response. That is what Billam did not understand. And what we learn about Bilam's deficient character, he did not develop respect from the animal because he treated the animal improperly. Okay, so that's the donkey talking. But let's now focus on what it is that the donkey says. So, God opened the mouth of the donkey and the donkey said to Bilam, what did I do to you that you should kick me these 
three times, that you should hit me these three times. Kihikisani ze shalosh regalim, that you hit me these three times. You'll notice an unusual word that you might not have expected. Normally, if you want to say something happened three times, you would say shalosh pa'amim, three occurrences, three times. This is an unusual phrase, shalosh regalim. Well, shalosh regalim has a very different meaning for Jews. The shalosh regalim refer to the three festivals, Pesach, Shavuos, and Sukkos. There are three pilgrimage festivals when, during the time that the Beit HaMikdash was standing in Jerusalem, there was a mitzvah for every single Jew to travel, to walk to Jerusalem. The word regalim comes from the word regel, which means foot. Three times that we are to walk with our feet to Jerusalem. What in the world does the three festivals have to do with the donkey speaking to Bilaam? So the Medrash explains that what the donkey is saying to Bilaam is really a completely different subject. The donkey is actually rebuking Bilaam in the task that he wants to perform. He is rebuking Bilaam for the intended purpose of his journey. The Medrash explains what the donkey is actually saying to Bilaam is, You want to curse a nation that observes Shalosh Regalim, three festivals every year? Okay, so the question is obvious. So what's the connection between the three festivals, Pesach, Shavuos, and Sukkos, and rebuking Bilam for wanting to curse the Jews? So listen to Bailey Newman's suggestion. She suggests that what the donkey is saying is that we, the Jewish people, we are a regalim people. We refer to these three pilgrimage festivals as regalim because, as I mentioned, regal means foot. They are three holidays of walking, of traveling. Regal means something else, else also. It means Lehit ragel, to become accustomed to. Targil, to train. Hergil, to make something familiar. In other words, suggest the Medrash. This is not the literal meaning. This is the Midrashic interpretation of what the, the donkey is saying. What the donkey is saying to Bilam is that being a Jew is to make oneself aware of and accustomed to a continuous mission, an ongoing walking toward. A regalim people are willing to put in the effort and time that it takes to get to their Jerusalem. And the Mechilta, another Midrashic source, suggests that the phrase shalosh regalim teaches us that everything in life 
depends on just how far a person is willing to travel to get there. This is what the donkey was trying to convey. The hallmark of this nation, the Jewish people, is the effort they are willing to continuously exert in order to perform God's will, in order to make their lives more perfect. That's the mission of the Jewish people. We need to be the kind of people the donkey describes us as the people of the Shalosh Regalim, a people who are walking towards a destiny. We need to continue walking, continue striving to become whole, because as Micha tells us, right, Micha's message is really what the donkey was saying that Bilam did not listen to. But as Micha tells us, we are not yet there. We are not yet completely good. Notwithstanding Bilam's formulation that we're perfect, everything is there, we have arrived. No, we're not there yet. We need to become what the Medrash says the donkey understood us to be. A people of the Shalosh Regalim. A people who make a daily practice to elevate themselves always walking toward our Jerusalem. My friends, I want to thank you very much for joining tonight. I want to wish you a great night and a wonderful Shabbos. And I look forward to seeing all of you soon in person.